AM on your radio dial or 104.9 FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host. Along with me this morning is co-host, Mr. Jim Mooney, Frontier Towing. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Brian's still taking a little bit of time, and uh, he's doing well. I talked to him yesterday, so, you know, uh, shortly, maybe you'll get a day off. <laughs> hope not. We got to, but not today. We got too much stuff going to take the day off. So I guess we'll have to just get on with the program. Seven one nine fourteen ninety is the call in number down here. If you'd like to join Jim and myself, go ahead. I uh, love to hear from you. <clears throat> we've got a few different topics. Um, one, we we've got hung up on electric vehicles for the last couple of weeks, but that doesn't stop the open line. You can call in. We don't care if you're driving a electric vehicle or a gas burner <clears throat> or a hybrid. Uh, any questions you have about your car, the car maintenance, uh, when to do things, uh, any little symptoms or signs you should be looking for in a car, uh, to tell you that, oh, it's time to change the spark plugs or it's time to get the oil changed or you've got a wheel bearing noise because uh, your wheel bearings are going out. And so any any questions that you may have, there really isn't any dumb questions. I've already covered those in my lifetime. <laughs> How about you, Jim? Uh, I, I've had a bunch of dumb questions. I've got plenty more dumb questions to ask in my life, Jerry. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to finish up my dumb questions in just one segment here. Oh, Lord, no. No, it, it just don't happen that way. 719-1490, join us down here. 719-1490. Uh, as I was saying about the electric vehicles, uh, you know, we can get into electric vehicles in just a few minutes. Uh, this portion of the show is brought to you by Spectrum Ina Road Auto Collision, 4425 West Ina Road. They're behind Jiffy Lube and the car wash. Seven four four forty four fifty four is their phone number, and you can call over there. They are open this morning to around noonish or one o'clock, something like that. But you can still get to them on the weekend, <clears throat> and uh, they do all sorts of body repairs, uh, body service, restoration jobs, on paint jobs. Uh, they pretty much do it all. Uh, windshield stripping. They they paint the pinstriping they have that ability and do a wonderful job on that window tinting of course it's in arizona uh i'm i'm still trying to figure out how to get a front windshield tinted because i noticed on my mustang on my 68 mustang when i drive at night the headlights from the other vehicles is really bright i mean to the point to where the other night i put on my sunglasses my fishing sunglasses and that worked out real well until the car passed and then you can't see <laughs> but it did cut down the glare, so I'm going to be looking into that uh, windshield tinting on a front windshield. I don't know that much about it, but uh, I do know people who do know a lot about it. So that always helps, always helps. All right, so what you got, Jim? Uh, what do you want to talk about? Here. Well, what do you, uh, we can talk about electric cars again. You want to do electric cars? Yeah, let's let's do that. I've got a bunch of research that I did this past week. And to the listening audience, you can find a lot of stuff on on just by googling electric cars. 
and find out what's coming, what's not. You know, some of the articles are vague. Uh, some of them are pretty explicit. Uh, I did find uh, how to buy a used electric vehicle about the depreciation on electric vehicles. So, yeah, we can, we'll get into Jim's portion of it here, and then we'll see what else I can throw in as we go through this little segment. And But keep in mind, 719-1490, if you've got a vehicle that's stumbling or it won't start or you think you've got a dead battery or you're, you, you don't know if just changing a battery is going to solve the problem, Anything like that that you may have, it's stuck in your mind since last Saturday, and you say, I think I'll just call Jerry and Jim and talk to them about it. By all means, 719-1490. We've got enough information on electric vehicles to carry us probably three weeks. <laughs> I have that. Or, or, Jim's or, or longer. <laughs> so, yeah, and so we know it's here. We know it's 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 not something that you're saying, oh, well, down the road it'll be here. Down the road my hind end is here right now. So, and a lot of people are thinking about it. A lot of people say, boy, that would be nice. You know, I'm still waiting for the solar car. I want a solar panel. That thing's <laughs> going to be ugly if you go down the road with a solar panel on it. <laughs> but it'll work. So, well, a lot so of you, information. You want to have, have a solar panel on the roof, but you want to have tent on the windshield, Jerry? I mean, help me out here. You're, you want to get all the sun you can, but you want to block it out? That seems counterproductive. Well, that's the reason the solar panel is going to be on the roof, not on my front windshield. <laughs> well, I still need to see panel on the front Hello. windshield, Jerry. You'll be tinted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm telling you, that bright sunlight, I can really tell the difference between the other three vehicles that I have. When I'm driving at night, uh, boy, I, I, I don't even have to think about what vehicle I'm driving. I can see it or lack of seeing it. Or hard to see, but anyway, well, it's uh, well. The new, just, the new LED lights are are very bright, and I can tell you they they are. It's it, that white light is driving at night can be very challenging. It it's it it draws you into it draws your eyes into the light. You almost have to focus down on the on a, on another subject like the white line, so you don't get you know that sun blindness. But if you look at the sun too long, it's it's hard. I, it's, it's I am so. I am so used to driving, looking down at that white line on the right side. You know, I I know you get somebody, you meet someone and they don't dim their lights. They don't have the automatic dimmers. Or you run into a lifted four before somebody forgot to readjust the headlights. And you you, I learned to look down at the white line. But when their lights are so bright, you can't see the white line to the right-hand side of your car, not staring directly in it, unless you put a hand up like catching a baseball in the middle of a sunny day. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And it's going to make good radio, too, because I will figure out how to get that uh, windshield fixed, uh, put a little screen on it. You know, uh, Spectrum does it, so... You know, we've got an in. At least I'll get some good professional information like, oh, maybe you ought to have your glasses changed. Or, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> maybe you need auto tinting <laughs> glasses, Jerry. <laughs> also, you. Shut up, Jim. Those guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, also those, uh, you know, something, something like you said, the four by fours. But some of those guys got those big light bars that they put on the tops or on the on the big LED lights. Yeah. If they run down the road with those yeah. on, well, I can't, you can't see anything except that light. There's, I mean, they're yeah. great to light up their part of the road, but uh, it's completely blinding to the other guy. So I, I've noticed well, that well, a lot on on vehicles. Well, they've got, uh, you know, I have fog lights on my uh, diesel, my 18 diesel, and at night, but I can look straight at a set of fog lights on a 4 before coming at me, and it's no problem whatsoever because they're angled mostly down at the ground, and they they go to the, they've got all the way out to the left side and the right side, and they're down at the ground. They just All they are is an option to the headlights that you've got on them. So I don't have any problems with those at all. But, buddy, I'm telling you, these uh, lights were we used to be able to drive down a road, and they were kind of like a, a radar. You'd run out of light before you run out of speed. And that was back in my younger years when I was stupid. And <laughs> But now you, uh, you can't outrun your headlights. If you've got a late model vehicle, you're not going to outrun those headlights. I mean, they, they'll they just stay right with you, and they'll just keep you right on out there so that you can see the javelina you're getting ready to, to hit. And uh, But the thing that concerns me a lot now, and I run across it after talking about it on the radio last week, is the day running lights, people driving with the day running lights. And they don't realize that they took it off of automatic <clears throat> and they're, all they have on is day running lights. Day running lights is front lights, headlights. It is not tail lights. I tried to catch a guy the other night down on Houghton Road to tell him that he needs to turn his lights on. And there were people that were passing me because I knew he was up there and I knew I couldn't see the hind end of the car and I didn't know how far up there he was. And but there was people pulling up beside him and and riding beside him, and I I guess he never got the information because I know his rear tail lights weren't out because I seen him about a quarter of a mile ahead of me when he stopped at a stop sign a uh, stoplight. So and his lights, but once he took his foot off that brake, his brake lights were gone and he was gone. I have no clue. I don't even know where he went. And it's a straight road. So well, if you have running lights. Turn your lights on. That that's inherently so dangerous they, to have be running down the road with without any any lights whatsoever, especially at dusk, dawn, or at night. Somebody approaching you can't see you, even with the reflective material in the taillights. You just you can't see them, and you'll creep right up on them, and, and all of a sudden now now we've got a bad situation. And then you got to call if, me if you're, because now now somebody did something dumb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I don't know how else to put it out. I mean, you know, we already, uh, I see probably half the people that are making turns don't use a turn signal. Uh, and I would like to say it's more, but I can't prove more. But I can, from just driving and what I see, probably 50% of the people don't even use turn signals. And the turn signals is really, really critical. I mean, that's telling Jerry that Jim is making a left-hand turn up here. And it also is telling me that Jim is in a right-hand lane, and he's got to cross three lanes of traffic to get there. And you don't just go, wow, hang a left, turn it, squealing tires and going across three lanes at one shot. No, you make lane changes safely. 
you make one lane change at a time and with a turn signal. And when you get in, a lot of people won't turn their turn signals off. And so you don't know what they're doing and they're sitting right in front of you. And then all of a sudden a light comes on and say, oh, my blinkers are on. Okay, then they turn it off. The way I change lanes is I put going from right hand to left hand on three lane road. I turn my left blinker on. I check to make sure that I'm clear, looking in my mirrors, my back, my rear view mirror, my side mirrors, and then I make a lane change. And then I turn the left turn signal on again. I turn it off as soon as I get in the lane to let you know that I haven't forgot to turn the signal off. I really do plan on going another lane. Then I turn the signal back on, check the mirrors, go through the process again and make sure everybody has the message, and then I'll move over, and that's how I move across traffic. And so far, it's worked pretty darn good. This old, (laughs) whoops, I missed the turn. Hook a left and turn the turn signal on. After you've made your turn, you turn your turn signal on. (laughs) We don't know where the heck you're going. Hello. So, well, you know, you say that, Jerry, because what we run across in collisions is that people are using their GPS. So they use the turn by turn scenario. You know, turn here, turn in 100 feet, right? Turn in 300 feet. So somebody's looking at that directional navigation, and they don't, and they're, and they are not prepared for that turn. So then they realize, oh my gosh, I have to turn because I don't know what mm-hmm. else to do, right? If I don't turn, I don't know where I'm going. I have no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm new to this town or I, I've never been in this part of town. I don't know where I'm going, so I need to turn here or I'm going to be lost. Well, just so you know, the GPS will recalculate if you go beyond the, beyond the turn. It will recalculate and give you another direction. So sometimes that's a little helpful. It's okay to miss the turn and drive on down the road for a half a mile and then turn around and come back. It's that's okay. You don't have to make that immediate turn and cut off, like you said, three lanes of traffic with your turn with making a right turn with your left turn signal on. Because those are the ones I love most of all. The the, the right turn with the left turn signal on. That's the fun. That's the best one. That's playing the game. Guess where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and you better be right. Hey, hey, hey watch this. I, I'm, I'm in a little deception mode. I'm going I'm to show you that. I, th- I think I'm going left, but I'm going to go right. And here, wait a second. What? How, how does this come to play? <laughs> of course, you know, then that always gives somebody the chance to, to, to relieve their frustration via a bunch of vocal obscenities, you know, and some, and some you know, some waving, you know, jumping to conclusions. And I guess they get their exercise out, so... Well, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't mind them if they get excited because I drive the speed limit, and if I'm going two miles over the speed limit, I will normally have it adjusted because I don't, I, I just, I stay around. If it says 45, I'm going to drive 45. If you want to drive 105, that's your butt, not mine. So you want to come around me, you come around me. I'm going to be in the right hand lane. And by the way. Left-hand lanes is made for passing, even if you're driving down a freeway. I think the only ones on the planet that actually understand that is people that's really paying attention and 18-wheelers. 18-wheelers, the only time you're going to catch them in that uh, left-hand lane on the freeway is if they're passing. And then as soon as they get past who they're passing, they move over to the right, just like they're supposed to. And by the way, they do use turn signals. They give turn signals way ahead to let you know that they're getting ready to move. 
The thing you don't want to tangle up with out on the freeway is an 18-wheeler. You lose. Uh, no. It's that simple. And then, of course, Jim, he don't mind it because, you know, he's got to go get the 18-wheeler, and then he's got to get the car, and then he's got to haul the car over to Spectre Minor. So, you know, that's that's what helps keep us in business, huh, Jimbo? And that's it. And, and and then, that's, a, that's an excellent point. You don't want to tangle with a with a vehicle that's, that's uh, uh, 80,000 pounds. So you're driving what well, – I don't even care. You're driving your, 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 your 18 Dodge, Jerry. It weighs – let's say you've got it all loaded up. It weighs – 6,500 pounds, right? Then maybe you well, mine weighs about eight. There. Okay, so it weighs 8,000. That's even better. It weighs 8,000 pounds. It weighs 8,000 mm-hmm. pounds. And you got everything loaded up, it weighs 8,000 pounds. And the tractor trailer weighs 10 times that. It weighs 80,000. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not real good at math, but I can tell you that eighty thousand is a lot bigger than eight thousand. And if if you think you're going to push eighty eighty thousand with eight thousand, you are mistaken. It's going to push you off the road because physics doesn't really take a break. Gravity is is here to stay, guys. <laughs> when that stuff comes over, it doesn't stop. It just mows you over, and cars don't care. They just oh wow, right. laid you down and have a nice right. day. So don't. <laughs> don't tangle with them. I get it. Yeah, they're slow. They, they go slow. Most of them go 65 miles an hour. Okay. Give them a few minutes. Go around them. It's, it's, it's okay. They have issues just like all of us. You know, they, they have tire failures. They break down. Oh, my God, they break down all the time these days with, with the diesel emission fluid. Uh, but, uh, so. you know, they, they're just moving along. But if, if you think you're going to take one, tackle one, if you're on a, if you're in a, an 8,000-pound truck, and that's a big truck. 8,000 pounds for a pickup truck, that's a big truck. And most cars are what, 3,500 pounds? Most motorcycles 35, 38. Yeah. yeah. Motorcycles, motorcycles are what, 500 pounds? 500 pounds? A bicycle, what are you at, like 25 pounds, 50 pounds? Yeah. So, so if you do the math, there's, you know, those are, those are, I know people think they're Superman, but yeah, it, it, the, the truck doesn't even care. It won't even know. It won't even know that, that anything went on. So, yeah, what it, I what get it. Reminds me of, yeah, what it reminds me of, and I do everything a lot more simpler than, you know, calculating a math and stuff like that. It reminds me of hitting a bowling ball with a raw egg. You lose. <laughs> you lose. Don't do it. Don't do it. But anyway, don't do it. just don't do it. Yeah, but the communication between the cars are getting better with the late model cars. Of course, you've got cars talking to cars. Okay, that's good. I would love to hear that conversation. I would love to hear what a BMW says to a Mercedes going down the streets of Tucson, you know, but wow. that's just me. I'm just naturally curious anyway. However, that communication is is really, really critical. Now, my, my uh, sister on the East Coast, she was driving a brand-new uh, minivan from Toyota, it's like a 2020 or something like that, and it has where you drive off-road and it automatically puts you back on the road. First oh, right, the lane, the lane assist. Yeah, it scared her to death. It just scared her to death. And she says, you know, I've got a 54 Ford that my husband has <laughs> out in the garage that I know wh- how it works. 
you know, if you go off the side of the road, you're probably going to hit something. You better wake up and put it back on the road. But it don't do it automatically, and you start looking around to find out who else is driving this thing. <laughs> so, you know, point well taken, but know your vehicles. That owner's manual, as I keep talking about, most boring darn thing in the world to read. But it's probably one of the more critical things that you need to read. I finally, I'm working, I'm, I'm down to about the last two pages, I think, in my owner's manual on my 218 Dodge that I bought new. So it's only taken me, what, three years to do the uh, owner's manual? But <laughs> I'm always researching for the stuff for the show and electric cars and fuel economy and uh, the different types of oil, what's good, what's bad, what'll work. And, oh, by the way, if you got any questions on oils, you know, we're pretty well versed in oil. Jim and I are versed in oils pretty well. And um, we can probably help you out with uh, what you're driving. There's a lot of controversy out there still. Oh, if you're driving synthetic, if you're driving a paraffin-based oil or regular oil, and then you go down the road and, and, and you've got 60,000 miles on it and you want to switch over to full synthetic, uh, it'll make the engine leak, and it'll really be bad for your motor. Okay, somebody's smoking crack. That's not. That just isn't true. I bought a minivan, a '96 minivan, in a bucket. It come in in carts, little plastic carts, and put it together. It had a, about 150, 160 thousand miles on it. Um, a guy decided he was going to rebuild, put something in the engine. I can't remember the full details on it, but he, everything was taken apart. Uh, you know, I, I looked at it and I'm going, I don't know what he planned on fixing, but he got everything halfway, which means he took everything off and didn't put anything back and just put it all in the crate. So I bought the vehicle and I said, that's going to be a good test vehicle. I bought that thing, put it back together. And I said, okay. The engine's got 160,000 miles on it. We're going to do something that I absolutely wouldn't do for one of my customers. I'm going to put full synthetic in that thing without flushing the engine to get the other garbage out. And I'm going to see what it does. I'm going to see how many oil leaks that we have on this engine. And then we're going to flip it to full synthetic from that garbage that they've got in there, which was as black as and as heavy as differential gear loop did that also the transmission the fluid in it was about a 20 weight 30 weight instead of transmission fluid at about a five weight and uh i had to flush that transmission five six times with a flush machine and i must have poured a hundred quarts of oil through there flushing that thing out and use different additives as I went through to try to get it to where it would actually shift. And people say, well, you know, if you flush these uh, transmissions that have all this uh, uh, old dirty oil in it, says so it's going to tear up your transmission. People, I would have bet my business that I was going to have to put a transmission in this when I went to work on it. I would, I, I actually going, boy, this is really going to be a test. We're going to check out all this trick equipment I have and see if I can pull this off. When I got through and finally got it to go to the shift points and got the old fluid out, 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 all the garbage out of the transmission and got it to go back into gear at the time it was supposed to, then that thing run for another 18,000 miles. And then I sold it and the customer, he picked it up and it's still running perfect. Transmission, by the way, did not have a leak. 
What it did do was exactly what I knew it was going to do. The full synthetic will flush the garbage out of an engine because it's a higher detergent. And it flushed that little V6 motor out. It took two quarts <laughs> adding two quarts of uh, synthetic as I drove it in order for it to quit using synthetic. That means that it had already flushed the engine now. Life is good. We went in and changed the oil filter. I think I drove it about 30 days on synthetic, then changed the oil filter, then poured the oil filter out. It was horrendously dirty. I mean, it was really bad. And then I put the fluid back in it, uh, topped it off, put one quart back in it, topped it off, and about another 60 days, I think it was, then we pulled the filter again and dumped it out to see what was in it. And it would look, it, it was about a third what the first one was as far as uh, having all the garbage in it. And then after that, I had no oil burn. Now, now this is a 160,000-mile motor that had been abused. I mean, in big red letters, abused vehicle. And I got away with it. That's the reason Mike and I used to argue. He said, well, if you put synthetic in a, in a car, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create leaks. Uh, I said, okay. And he says, you're really going to waste that money on that vehicle? Yep, it's a test vehicle. I'm going to waste the money on a vehicle. It's called R&D, Research and Development. And I'm going to see what the, what the little secrets or if I'm going to find out who's right. So when I tell you that you can flip to synthetic if it's necessary, <coughs> excuse me, if you want to flip it to synthetic, there are there's a process that you can use that's a lot quicker than the way I did it. I did it the long way because I wanted to see what it's going to, I mean, what are you going to do? Had me another engine? I already bought a car that was just a, a wreck and put it all back together and use it for a test vehicle to get actual actual data, and I did. So if you're thinking about switching to synthetic, you got a question on it. I've been using it since 1980. Uh, you can call me. Everything I own has got full synthetic in it now. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> what what, what what does it, all right, 719-1490. I'm, I'm guilty of this, not giving a phone number out, because I know a lot of you are driving, a lot of you have uh, uh, Bluetooth in the vehicles, and you can call if you had a phone number. You can't get on, you can't pull over and stop and Google it and say, okay, what's this idiot's phone number down at the station? It's 719-1490. I do apologize, because I should be putting this thing out about every five minutes in order to give you an opportunity, because I know people have things to do on Saturday morning besides sit around and listen to me on the radio. In fact, uh, joggers listen to me on the radio, and they don't, I mean, they're jogging, so they're not going to stop and, and go back to their cell phones and say, okay, what's the phone number down there? i got a question for him. So we are going to pump out the 719-1490 a lot more today to give you an opportunity to talk to us about things that pop up during the week, or any questions you may have. All right, Jimbo, electric cars, buddy. What did you find out during your research this past week? Okay, electric cars. So um, electric cars, um, 
you know when you when you buy a car, Jerry, it, you don't just buy the car. You buy the you buy the support crew that goes with it. Makes sense, right? You buy a Chevy, you go back yep. to the Chevy dealer, you buy a Ford, you go to the Ford dealer. You know, and a lot of people don't buy cars based on what they are. They buy cars and trucks in particular on based on the service department, the the service experience they're going to have. Does that make sense? I mean, have you ever bought a car like that? Uh, when you, yeah, when you buy, no, I don't because I owned Simmons Ford before. And most of my vehicles never go back to the dealership, you know, unless it's a major warranty. Because one, I don't feel like having it down for two weeks. And, uh, they're, they have a, a quite a little chore down there figuring this stuff out too. Uh, but you're not every, and we have a lot of you, Jerry. Not but everybody owns. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, I got carried away. That, that, no, that's okay. So, so what happens is, is, is you know, you have to be able to get the vehicle serviced, but um, also part of the support mechanism for an electric vehicle is the charging. How do you charge you it? Go. When do you charge it? Who, you know, what what charging points are available? And what I found out is that I guess when you buy a, a charging of uh, electric vehicle, you you have a choice of charging stations. So like when you when you buy a electric vehicle, they you can get a 110 volt charging station, or you can get a 220 volt charging station. So one is like your little battery charger, and the other one's like your your dryer. You know, the one that uses power like your dryer does, your, and the other one uses power like your like a little uh, little battery charger. So. From what I found out is that if you have the the lower voltage charger, it takes longer to charge, and you may not get a full charge. So the recommendation is to have to first off, you have to check have an electrician check your house because if imagine your your house was built in in the you know the 50s or the 40s or the 20s. I mean, cars in in Massachusetts houses in Massachusetts were built in the 1700s. It, will the will the home support that type of charging station? Do you have to run a new feed for it? Do you have to run new wires? You know, what's the point of buying a car if, that you can't charge up? Claim if you went to the gas station and the gas pump put out, you know, one gallon every 14 hours, you'd be like, well, this is no good. I don't want this. You'd go to a different station, right? So, that, so what they do mm-hmm. is they you you need to have the you need to have the an assessment done, and that that doesn't take. Forever, just this little assessment. Hey, if I buy this car and I put it at my house, how can I charge it? How, how is the charging station going to work at my house? Oh, by the way, if you live in an apartment complex, I don't even know where you'd put the charger. I mean, because it's not your house. So how how do you how do you have a charging station at, at an apartment complex? Is there is there a global charger? You know, do you have like four chargers for forty three vehicles? How how is that going to play out? So where you reside also could come into play of how you use the how you use the vehicle. You know, if if it's right. oh I can I can charge it at work, well then how do you get the car? You know, oh I have to walk down to the QT to plug my car in, then I got to walk a quarter of a block to get to my car. Does that sound convenient? No, but I mean these are the challenges that that people are going to are facing today. Um, and uh, so the so what I also found out is that the um, the power companies in my research the power companies are don't know how to handle um, or they're not I shouldn't say they don't know they're unsure of how to handle the, the increased load 
So if you got a bunch of electric vehicles charging at night, how, how do, will, will the grid take the, the increased charging? If you have a 110 charger, the load on the grid might not be quite as much as it is for a 220 charger. And, um, there's, you don't just automatically put more power down the wires. They, they're, when they build subdivisions, this is what the construction guys tell me. When they build subdivisions, they look at a four-bedroom house and say there's going to be an average of six people living there. There's going to be a refrigerator, a dryer, and it's going to take this much energy. And they base their, mm-hmm. the, they base the, the infrastructure on those numbers. Well, now you throw in a, a, a new uh, charging station. Well, they didn't build for that 40 years ago or 50 years ago or even 20 years ago. But the electric mm-hmm. guys aren't sure exactly how to do it, how, how to put it in. If they put right. more power on the overhead wires, for example, let's say the overhead wires that run overhead, you know the ones on the poles that people don't like because they think they look ugly? They actually right. they told me that the, the voltage is different. The, 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 the voltage is different on the wires. So they increase the voltage. They have to actually raise the poles so that the voltage – Higher voltage is higher above your head, so it cools better and it doesn't it doesn't arc to the ground. There's a like a huge amount of sophistications. I wish somebody from the power company could explain this better, way better than me. But um, they uh, so it, just throwing more power wires up it isn't really an, an immediate option. Putting their power the lines underground, they get too hot. I guess they get they get too hot because they put too much power underground. They get they get too hot, so they have to be careful about that. So these are real challenges that the that guys that that sell power for a living are are coming across and they they have to address these and as we consumers try to you know buy this new buy this new um uh vehicle these guys are going to have to come up and say hey uh we got to figure out what to do with so much as you know the, the cell phone tower you know you know we're, we've upgraded to 5g you know we started out with analog so there's more cell phone towers. There's more capacity because there's more people using phones than there were 30 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Also, um, what I did, I was reading the New York Times says that GM plans on phasing out all gas vehicles by 2035. 14 years. They, they are not going to produce mm-hmm. any more gas vehicles. Right. That, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's a... GM, that's a big deal. There, no more gas vehicles by 2035. So does that mean Boy. that we don't have any more gas pumps? I mean, for all of us guys that drive old gas cars, or, you know, is gas going to be eighteen dollars a gallon? These are nope. these are questions that that people don't know and they don't have the answers to yet. And well, in order to get rid of the combustion engine. Uh, the research and stuff that I've done, they said, uh, don't worry, by 2065, you're going to have 70% of the cars on the road that will be, they'll be electric. They're going to be, I mean, car manufacturers, the cars that are going to be built will be um, 60, 60% or 70, 70%, I think, was the number, 
on the road will be electric vehicles. And then the, and inside the article it says, but don't worry about running out of the combustion engines because they're going to be around for a long time because people are setting goals for uh, electric uh, transportation vehicles, you know, the cars, the light-duty trucks and stuff like that. However, the big trucks that cost $300,000 and stuff like that, uh, there, there is no mandate for those. They say they're just going to be, they're going to be changing over as needed. And in other words, when somebody says, yeah, I can afford $300,000 for this electric vehicle. But, uh, based on them traveling across the road. Now there is a third level in charging stations and it's a 240. That thing is capable of charging a vehicle 80% capacity in 30 minutes. Okay. The rest of them are 24 hours and then level two is a little bit less than 24 hours. So you can get a certain percentage. Uh, also on the vehicles, uh, I, I, th- I found this very interesting. Cold temperatures pull an extra 41%. Now this goes along with the question you asked last week about, you know, using the hand drills and stuff like that with 20 volt systems and after a period of times it sucks all the energy out, especially the load that you put on the drill. This thing backs that up 100%. Cold temperatures pull an extra 41% at 20 degrees. Now thank goodness we don't have to worry about a 20 degrees. 17% lower with air conditioning used at 90 degrees. In other words, that we use in Tucson, Arizona. So if they say you've got uh, 200 miles on it, you take 17% off of it because you're going to be running your air conditioning all day long. Um, and then if you do run, all right, where are we at? Topping off a battery, if you run minimum, like during the day and you get in, you plug it in, uh, topping off a battery is better than a full charge battery than fully charging uh, a battery that's all the way down the bottom. So in other words, if you top off a battery at the end of the day and you've only used 20% of your battery and stuff like that, it's actually better than pulling the battery all the way down, then plugging it in and have to sit there for 24 hours before you move the daggone thing because you're out of battery. Now that's with the charging stations one and the level two. I, I didn't write down the rest of the info on the level two as much. I do know it's, it's under 24 hours, but it's not 30 minutes like the level three. Now they've got charging stations already setting up between here and Phoenix. That's a level three charge that'll give you 80% in 30 minutes. Yes, it so, is. Grand cool. The pilot truck stuff has them. Long Cantata has them. Um, there's one right at, at the right at the 202 and the I-10, um, right as you get into Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, so yeah, they're there. You're, you're absolutely right. They're there. Um, I, I, you know, it, and you say that I, I, I was wondering if if they're going to come out with a universal um, charging port. They should. You know, or, to or see the, the, the you have to go there and figure out which plug you got to plug into your car. You know, but well, most, most of your the, cars, the, most of your cars that are put out have level one and level two capabilities already. In other words, a level two is going to give you a quicker charge than a level one, and the car is level. equipped to handle that. But if yeah. you plug in something that's only equipped to handle a level one or level two, and you go with a level three, say, okay, I'm going to charge this sucker in thirty minutes. 
I think I'd probably check the owner's manual or the manufacturer of the car to make sure that you're going to be able to handle level three, but because my research says uh, uh, not necessarily. Level one is normally a 110 operation or 120. A level two is a 240. That's a level two. And a level three, uh, I don't know what the next number is up, but it's uh, it's it's big. What what is a what is that thing for? Anyway, so, so you you say that, and so this you have where, to. I this is where I talk about the support group of your of your dealership where you bought the car, because those are right. all good questions that the the OEM should have the answers for. They built it. And the dealer that you're working with should have have those answers for you, so that when you when you, before you make this purchase, because it's not a cheap purchase, we all know that they're more expensive than a normal car today. But as prices come down, but still, they're, they're still not a, no no vehicle no vehicles are cheap for purchase. So, but the support group that you have at your at your local OEM, you know, the dealership, um, you know, should be there to help you. Okay, look, this is the steps we're going to walk you through. Let's help make you this a seamless operation for you. And that's that to me is I don't know how how the guys at the dealers are are handling this because it's all new to them too. It's like they have to go to class every every day to learn this stuff. Right. And I noticed something in there when you're uh, – there's five things you're supposed to look for when you're buying an electric vehicle. Number one is ensure the vehicle range is well within your needs. In other words, if you've got a range of 200 miles and you're going to run air conditioning in Arizona, take 17% off of that, and find out, okay, if you need something that's got to run a minimum of 350 miles in a day, uh, it's time to recalculate. But don't forget that what I've said on the depletion of the batteries, like run it wide open. You run it, and Jim brought up something during a conversation we had about if you run down a road and you're running 90 miles an hour on an electric vehicle, are you pulling more energy out of that battery than if you're running 55? Okay, good point. And, yeah, you are. It's like running that drill wide open versus using it in short spurts at about three-quarter, and then the battery's going to last long. Or the electric trimmer, the uh, battery-operated trimmer that you're using for your house and stuff like that. You've got to consider the price, less any appreciable incentives, all right? Less any appreciable incentive. Guess what that $7,500 is? That is something that you take off of it. When you get ready to resale, it's already depreciated $7,500 because really that wasn't your money that was added to it. And so you take that off. And I thought that was interesting And when buying a used electric vehicle. All right. Ensure the passenger room and cargo space meet your needs. In other words, I know uh, one of my neighbors bought a little electric car. And his grandmother bought a hybrid, a little hybrid Ford. He bought an electric car. But if he goes to Phoenix and back, he bars his grandmother's car because his won't run to Phoenix and back because it's got air conditioning and it's, it just won't make the trip. So make sure that you have plenty of room and cargo space also. This thing looks like a shoebox. Uh, make sure the electric car driving experience is to your liking. I've never seen anybody or heard of anybody that drove an electric car other than you can't hear it run. Uh, 
that had a complaint with it. You can't complain because you just go right on by the service stations, at least till you get back to where you can plug it in. But make sure that you actually like driving a car. As far as the power in it, oh, my Lord. The Tesla that they have out there now is capable of running um, 0 to 60 and 2.7 seconds. That's faster than most of your drag cars. So keep that in mind. The power is not an issue. So you're gonna when you sit down and you hit the accelerator, you're going because you don't have any lost torque. It's right there right now. So you're gonna you're gonna be impressed with that. But in order to calculate the cost per mile to buy one of these, and this I thought was pretty doggone cool. Take the purchase price. In other words, you're gonna pay uh, $30,000 for one. And yeah, you can buy one for under 30000 believe it or not. But take the purchase price, divide it by the miles slash range to get a cost that will help determine the efficiency of the car. <coughs> That'll give you, excuse me, cost per mile. So, That'll send you on the way. But don't you dare forget about the cold temperatures. Now, we don't have 20-degree temperatures in Tucson except once every eon. Excuse me. <laughs> no, you're, you know, Jerry, you're exactly right. The the cold temperature thing, if you live in Missouri or Montana or someplace where, you know, cold temperatures are a mainstay from from October to to February, uh, and, it's, and it's zero degrees, Battery efficiency has always been affected by the cold temperatures. And is there was there a degradation rate of how fast or how much less efficient it will be if it's cold? You know, if the, if you got it fully charged and it's cold, is it, will it go only eighty percent of what it normally would, or will it go twenty percent? Well, that's a you know, that's a huge deal. Um, you're you know you're driving um, someplace and and uh, you know it's minus thirty degrees outside, which that's what they're going to be. It's you know, granted, you're going to, you're going to have will it, will it, yeah, you're going to have to come up with your charging stations and a better plan. But don't forty one percent is huge at twenty degrees. Now, very seldom does it get twenty degrees in Tucson. Let's say you go to Flagstaff a couple of weeks and you plan on going uh, skiing or something like that, and the temperature is down around eighteen, seventeen degrees, and you've got your electric vehicle. Don't forget that 41% loss at 20 degrees. Same way with the air conditioning in Tucson. You know, people complain about, well, you know, this thing's supposed to get 250 miles. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. And you're running your air conditioning because it's hotter and stinker out there. That 17%, you know, so round the numbers off. Go to 20%. Okay, I I would drive 250 miles, but i got to take 20% off of it because I'm running air conditioning all day long. Be realistic about what you expect from this car. If manufacturer says, oh, you can go 650 miles, really? Okay, I'm not going to hang my hat on 200 or 650 miles for a charge because... I'm going to use the air conditioning at 17%. And if I'm going to be running in cold weather, oh, cold weather, 41%, uh, you know, it's time to do the math before you take that long trip around. When you're buying a used EV and they are out, I I read one uh, article that said uh, a used electric vehicle that costs $31,000, you drive it three years and then you sell it, 
and it's worth $17,000. That's a pretty good hit on depreciation. But that also included the $7,500, okay, that the federal government, that we taxpayer, that the money that I give Jim so he can buy his electric car. Uh, they did away with the 7500 It depreciated down based on the years or something. I'd, I'd have to check my CPA in order to find out what the heck they're talking about. But when you do, uh, you're buying a used vehicle, be sure and get a Carfax on it and have the rest of the vehicle checked out. You know, it's got brakes. It's got tires. Uh, that stuff and it's got accessories on it that may or may not work. So be sure and get those checked out when you get ready to buy one of those. There's there's a lot of electric vehicles out there. Uh, me, I would say, mm, if I'm going to run around town, I'm going to run, say, 50 miles a day in town, uh, I'd consider electric vehicle. Then when you when you get home, and by the way, most of the uh, plug-ins are, they are the same ones. I think the only one that I, and I'm not even sure of this, I think the stage three, like for the big vehicles and stuff, might be a different uh, plug, but I, I I can't say because state the level two that the vehicles are already set for, I just haven't seen any difference in the way you plug that son of a gun in. So... That'd be something to definitely take in consideration when you're buying one, used or new. And, you know, but remember, you can top a battery off. You just keep topping them off, and it's better than having to go down. The battery technology in the, these late model electric vehicle is a heck of a lot different than when they first come out. You can actually change the battery cells out. You may have a dead cell in one of the batteries, and you pull that son of a gun out, and then you put it in, like putting a battery in a lawnmower. You set the other one back in, hook them back up. Life is good. So you can replace just one cell in these batteries, which helps a heck of a lot. They can't run nine hundred dollars, uh, uh, yeah, nine hundred bucks, to actually put a, a different uh, battery in when you can just put a cell in the battery, which I think is good technology, and it's more to come as they keep making it a little better. So, so you, did, you uh, but do have on an the, interesting point there about buying a used vehicle, Jerry. Um, mm-hmm. do you, when you buy the used vehicle, does it come with a charger? Does a used vehicle come your, with a charger? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, buy, I, buy, I, buy my, I buy my electric vehicle. I use it for five years or three years. I've decided I want to upgrade to a little bit better machine or a little bit, maybe I need a bigger car because I have a family now. I need an SUV or something. Um, but the charger still mm-hmm. works. So I didn't buy a new charger. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I bought the new, I went to CarMax and I bought the new electric vehicle. Does it come with a charger? Do you have to buy a charger? Because they're like a couple of grand, I think, to buy the charger. If you get a charging system set up, you're absolutely correct. So, you know, so if the, if it, and it has to match what you've got. It has to match what you got. So, if, you know, if you're buying the car and, and the guy goes, yeah, here it is, because normally you go buy a used car. You go there, you look at the tires, you look at the inside, you get in it, it's comfortable, the radio plays, you know. You check it out, you have the mechanic check it out, he gives it the two thumbs up, and you drive away. Call, get it registered, get it insured, go to the gas station. Well, now you got to yep. take the car and go 
hey, um, well, we got nobody to gas it up. So uh, in lieu of going to the chargers that are around the city, you got to find, mm-hmm. you got to go get somebody to put one in. Well, that's not a five minute ordeal. You know, you got to get the charger. You got to call an electrician to come out to your home to put it in. He's got to hook it all up, you know. Um, so that's, it's not like a two second ordeal. So that was my question is, that, you know, do the, when you plan to buy that used car, you know, is it come with a charger? Or does the guy selling it know it needs a charger? Oh, by the way, it'll make it home, but then you're done. You can't drive it no more. That's, well, you know, let's look at let's let's take it back to the old houses that's built. By the way, the number seven one nine fourteen ninety. You can join us on this conversation seven one nine fourteen ninety. But if you've got an older house. Uh, my question is, and I, I, I haven't seen anything written down about it. When you put these charging systems in your house, does your house wiring have to qualify? Do you need a permit in order to put one of these chargers installed at your house? And so let's, let's do it the way it goes with industry. If you put a new piece of equipment in and you get ready to re- rewire it, uh, and your electrician comes in and says, yeah, I've got to have a permit for this. So he gets a permit for it and life is good and, and that they hook up the uh, 240 or the 440, and then you're good to go. But is that going to be the same thing for a home where you call and say, okay, well, I've got this in. Well, you have to do an inspection on your house to see if your service going to your house is heavy enough to handle the extra equipment or the charging station you plan on putting in. So these are just little things that, you you buy the electric car and all of a sudden you go wow I got to put in another two thousand dollar charging station because this thing is so sophisticated uh, it uh, it requires more than what my house uh, service is capable of putting out so you need to check with a good electrician somebody that's familiar with this or you can call down and uh, talk to the the county inspectors and you know find out what's going on with this so that that's well, another little homework you may have to do. Well, that's an interesting concept. I would imagine the little 110 chargers probably will plug in, but will they charge everything you need uh, and, and get it done correctly? But, yeah, you just you mentioned a great thing, a permit. Oh, my goodness. If you had to buy a permit, and I can't imagine a government entity not wanting you to get a permit for one of these things because that's just more money for them. Uh, right. the, uh, so that would take it. That's another month process, you know, so – that, that sounds like some serious challenges if if that's the case. I, I can't imagine they would make it that complicated if they, um, just because so, you obviously you're going to be out of your vehicle. You're not going to be able to drive the thing unless you until you have the charging station installed. So mm-hmm. I, I guess you, mm-hmm. once you go back to the dealership and have them charge it up for you, um, it's going to be a little counterproductive. Well, the federal or tow it. We can tow it. You know what? If if, if we can tow if it breaks down, I can still tow it. <laughs> out of charge we can still tow that puppy around we'll just put you on the back of the tow truck and tow you around for a while we're good with that too well if it yeah if it <laughs> and now you're coming out uh i look at the 2022 ford f-150 they that they already have a charging system in those uh hybrid trucks in too but you've got charging systems inside of a truck and I'm going, man, I need to read up everything I can on those because I want to see how you go out and you operate that thing all day long at a construction site and run all your equipment off of that system, how it stays charged up. I don't 
I, I don't get that full concept. I don't know how many hours they can go on them. I don't know how many pieces of equipment you can operate at one time. I know it's got a load, including a uh, 220 outlet on it. So, But I still don't know. I, I don't have the information readily available or what I've been able to find that tells me, okay, and by the way, you can only use one hand-operated electric saw or whatever at a time, or if that thing has a capacity to handle, you know, five or six of them, and if so, how long will that last? Is that going to last an eight-hour shift, or is that going to last a, you know, a little while? What happens if the guy works overtime? Is it going to handle the load? So there is still a lot of information out there. But I can't get over, you know, the, the price. That's the only thing I've seen on the cost of operation per mile is what I just read you, and that's the only information that I spotted. There is a gun battle going out there because, uh, okay, well, they're environmentally better, okay? And then the gun battle is, well, you have to have electricity coming from someplace. Who, what are they doing? What's the cost of the electricity coming out that allows you to plug it in? And so when you take the total cost of them, and from a source that uh, I, I won't quote her name, but um, the actual cost on an electric vehicle out, the advantage of the electric vehicle is polluting air. That's it. There is no cost savings. And I'm going, that is almost impossible for me to believe because you look at it and you say, well, I've got this, uh, I don't buy gasoline. I don't have to pay $3.39 for regular gasoline. And the my information that I've been able to acquire over the past few years is uh, they're no, they still cost. They still cost. There's no free ride like everybody said. Well, you just, it's like solar. You get solar and you can sell electricity back to, you can sell back to Tucson Electric Power. So I just, you know. Everything, but you pay forty thousand dollars to get it put on your house. So, <laughs> or or you rent it. I mean, you have to lease it, and that's that's. You're right. How much are you saving? I I, I haven't put the numbers to it yet. Every time I tried, when I tried to put numbers to a solar panel for my place, is forty thousand dollars, and I said, "Holy crap!" And uh, so then you go down, you pull your money out of your savings account, or you lease it. But they've come up with a lot of stuff. All right, Jimbo, we're up in 30 seconds to the top of the hour, 719-1490. We talk the first hour, you talk the second hour, 719-1490. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages.